it's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you? <laughs> I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome back to, as far as I know, the only radio show and podcast in the United States that highlights idealists and the work that they engage in to make the world a better place. I mean, we are fairly unique. And so that makes you, as a listener, somebody fairly unique. Okay? There you go. Pat yourself on the back. And boy, do we have a great show this week. The big interview is with Giuliani Tavares, the playwright for Morris Micklewhite and the Tangerine Dress. Trust me, you are going to just love Giuliani. Her play, the based on a children's book, okay, Morris Micklewhite, is opening at Children's Theatre Company a week from today on October 14th. Um, and a disclosure note, I am on the board of directors for Children's Theatre Company, but I'd be having Giuliani on regardless, tell you, because uh, the, the book and the play are going to be phenomenal. And you'll just love hearing from this young human with so much energy, okay? In my C block, as always, I'll talk about my work as an idealist. But uh, let us begin with this week's featured idealist, a person who seemingly appeared out of nowhere, but who has been operating behind the scenes for nearly two decades doing important work to improve the lives of humans, particularly workers who are often considered um, being on the lowest rungs of the economic ladder. I'm talking about Lafonso Butler, who California Governor Gavin Newsom this week appointed to fill the late Dianne Feinstein Senate seat. If you were like me, you had no idea of who LaFonza, LaFonza Butler is. But because you listen to this show, we're both going to learn about her together. How do you like that? Oh, let's just go down the road. LaFonza Butler has had a remarkable trajectory. She was born in 1979 um, in rural Mississippi, uh, when she was 16 years old, her father uh, died of heart disease. And, but fortunately, that loss, uh, the loss of her father, didn't detour her. Lafonza, uh, she ended up graduating um, from graduating salutatorian, okay, um, from her high school in 1997. Uh, and then from there, she went on to Jackson State University, where she earned a bachelor's degree in political science. And then from there, LaFonza Butler moved to the East Coast where she got involved in union organizing. This included helping to organize nurses in Baltimore and New Haven um, and hospital workers as well in New Haven. And in 2009, she relocated to California where she became president of Local 15 of uh, the Service Employees International Union, SEIU. And then she began organizing long-term care workers out in California. Like I said – you know, some people on the lower rungs who really need protection. They need to, to have the strength of a union. And this person, LaFonza Butler, understood that. Um, in short order, she was elected president of the California SEIU State Council and then worked to boost the state's minimum wage. And she also focused on increasing taxes of the wealthiest Californians. I wonder how that went. We need to do that in the country generally, you know. <clears throat> Along the way, LaFonza Butler met uh, Kamala Harris um, when she ran for California Attorney General. They became friends uh, and uh, LaFonza um, ultimately helped Kamala with her 2020 presidential bid. In 2021, LaFonza Butler was named the 
the president of Emily's List, from which if you are like me, <clears throat> you receive regular mailings asking for donations. <clears throat> now, as a sidebar, Emily's List itself is an incredibly idealistic organization. Um, its overriding goal is to elect pro-choice women to office. This includes recruiting and helping women, women to decide to run. You may recall when I was trying to run last year, decide, trying to figure out whether I was going to run for the local school board, it's not an easy process to decide whether you're going to do it because you're going to weigh a whole lot of pros and cons. It's going to disrupt your life greatly. And what Emily's List does is they provide support to women as they're trying to figure that out. And then they go on. Once the women decide uh, that they're going to run, Emily's List helps them with their campaigns. Emily's List also works to get out the vote. Uh, it's a wonderful organization that does much good for our struggling democracy. As uh, we all know, when Diane Feinstein died at age 90 this week, her seat became open. Because Feinstein was up for election in November 2024, there was the question of who to appoint to fill the seat. Currently, three United States representatives from California are running for that seat. Adam Schiff, Katie Porter, both of whom are white, and then uh, white color, and then Barbara Lee, who is black. Uh, um, Gavin Newsom had vowed to appoint a black woman to Feinstein's seat, but, but if he appointed Barbara Lee, he'd be seen as tipping the scales <clears throat> on the 24 Senate race. So in appointing LaFonza Butler to Feinstein's seat, he did so with the assumption and maybe the express condition, I don't know what conversations uh, th that Newsom had with LaFonza, um, that maybe she, that she would not run for the seat herself in 2024. Doesn't matter, okay? Doesn't matter. Hold on. I'll get to that. In appointing LaFonza, Newsom encountered a wrinkle. Okay, LaFonza was living in Maryland because Emily's List is headquartered in Washington, D.C. But apparently LaFonza still owns a house in California. And the U.S. Constitution doesn't require residency of a state uh, to be a U.S. senator. It only requires that you be an inhabitant of the state. Now, I'm sorry, Ellie Krug, the distinction between resident and inhabitant is sort of lost on me. But nonetheless, apparently it's enough of a distinction because that apparently LaFonza can be made a senator. And, of course, following getting the nod from uh, Newsom, uh, LaFonza re-registered to vote in California, which, of course, was a good thing. OK. One last noteworthy thing about LaFonza. She's a lesbian. <laughs> and she and her wife have a daughter. This makes LaFonza the first black lesbian to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. Go, LaFonza. Way to go. In summary, what a remarkable trajectory – for who was a young girl living in rural Mississippi. Do we need to go down the road what the stats are relative to success if you grow up in Mississippi with the 50th worst education system in the country? Do we need to go through those stats? I don't think so. So it tells you a lot about her grit, her resiliency, her brilliance, all of that stuff. This idealist, LaFonza, will now have Senator attached to her name forever. And since she's just 44 years old, um, we can expect her to go on and do many more things after a senatorial term ends in January 2025. Stay tuned about LaFonza Butler because we will hear more about her. 
There you go. That's our featured idealist for the week. Now uh, we're going to come back with a big interview with uh, Juliana Tavares. I'm just going to tell you that's another young human to follow because you're going to love hearing from from them. That's the pronoun that Juliana used, they and them. You're going to love hearing from them and you're going to – they're going to warm your heart, okay? All right? And so just – Last week I told you get the cup of coffee or the glass of wine, get ready, sit down for a good interview. Another occasion for you to do that. Okay? All right. We're going to go take our break. When we come back, we'll do the big interview with Juliana Tavares and then uh, we'll do my C block. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. If you like what you hear, go visit my website. Follow me on Twitter or X now uh, at Ellie Krug. How long I'll be on there, I don't know. But follow me anyway or just reach out and email me, lhjkrug at gmail.com. Make sure you keep the J. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. And we're back. LE 2.0 Radio. So, as I said, um, pay attention to LaFonso Butler and what uh, she's going to do for the next, what is it, uh, 13 months as a senator from California, but what sh- what she's going to do even way after that. So, now, it is my pleasure to introduce somebody who's doing something big right now. Um, and somebody that I greatly admire. I've got Giuliani Tavares here on the line for the big interview. Uh, Giuliani is a storyteller um, from the Dominican from the Dominican Republic by way of New York City, and their work centers on the lives and liberation of Afro, Indigenous, and queer trans. Uh, diasporas and and take many forms, including playwriting, screenwriting, poetry, photography, graphic design, teaching, and most of all, kinship. Giuliani, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. I'm just thrilled to have you here. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ellie. I'm thrilled as well. I'm really excited to have a conversation together about a bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and so so as I relayed in the prior segment, but I'll remind the uh, uh, audience again. I'm a member of Children's Theater Company Board of Directors. and But Giuliani, we're having you on here because you are the playwright. You're the one that brought a children's book um, to the stage, yeah. uh, opening on a week from today, on the 14th. And, uh, and, and, and I'm going to be there for the opening, okay? The title of the book is Morris Micklewhite and the Tangerine Dress. And we need to make sure that we give credit to the author and the illustrator because it's a children's book. The author is Christine Baldacchino. The illustrator is Isabel uh, Malenfant. Um, and so – but you are the playwright, Giuliani. And so first of all, tell us what a playwright is, OK, just so we're, we've got all of that down just – and. And by the way, I'm seeing you on screen, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna flirt with you just for a second, okay? You have the greatest smile. You just really oh. do. I'm just like digging it, okay? So, all right, oh, enough okay. about that. <laughs> Tell what does a playwright do, and and just give us the narrative. Take us from 
How did you get involved with this project? And tell us about, by all means, tell us about how wonderful this this book is and the play is going to be. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, my follow, you're getting my real genuine big smile. So I'm just already having a great time. Sometimes I have like my awkward sort of interview smile, but I'm, I'm with you here. I'm super excited to be here. And I'm super excited to be the playwright of this beautiful story. Yeah, so a playwright, you know, is something I didn't even know existed when I was a kid. I didn't know I could ever become, but isn't someone who, you know, writes stories for the stage, for live theater. Um, and it's such an honor to be able to do that and, and call it my job right now and to work on this project specifically. You know, this beautiful children's book is about a young kid named Morris with a huge imagination and a huge heart. And I, you know, love this kid from like page one because he's just, he loves school. He loves puzzles. He loves painting. Like I was that kid who was like, yeah, I couldn't wait to go to school. You know, I love the activities and learning. And so he's got that energy and, you know, he's young in a really developmental time, you know, I think around that age of like five to seven, when you're starting to like sort of, it's like your first time kind of getting a personality, you know, like after the first few years of like figuring out how to walk and stuff. And so he's in that zone. um, And this book is just a really beautiful story. It's like a week in his life, you know, and, and he um, goes on this journey where he's like in his zone, he's at school, he's loving all his creative playtime, including dress up. And, um, what happens is that one of the things he happens to love in this dress-up chest is a dress, you know, and he loves it because of the sound and the color and the feeling that he gets, you know, the the way it swishes and crinkles. It's like really beautifully sort of um, explored in, in writing and visuals in the book. Um, and then, you know, there's some some pushback on that basically from his classmates and the story goes through how he kind of navigates that because it's pretty painful and then how he sort of taps into his courage and resilience to come out on the other side. And so that's the book. And the book is already so astounding. I recommend it to all. Um, and basically, um, Peter Brochus here at CTC encountered the book. You know, he tells this great story about like walking into, I think, a library or a bookstore and just being like, to the first person he saw working there being like, give me your favorite 10 children's books right now. I want to read them, you know, um, as a great artistic director does looking for, you know, exciting work. And he encountered that book and, and saw the vision, you know, and he loved it. And I had the pleasure of receiving an email then sometime after to have a conversation with him, as well as a few other directors, you know, in Chicago and Omaha, where we'll hopefully take the show next. And um, they wanted to really invest in the story. And I got to get the message to potentially be the one to do it. And then here I am, you know, we hit it off. We had a chat. As soon as I saw the email and the book, I was like, I would love to be a part of up lifting the story and so that's how I came to be involved with the project um, over a year ago now and it's been through many drafts and workshops and now we are in tech and we're opening soon like you said next week so that's where we're at and it's really been a, such a fun ride. Well and can I tell my audience is it all right if I tell my audience you're not even 30 years old yet am I right about that? You're right yeah I'm 29 <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <I'm on the test>. <laughs> <laughs> you know and so I mean think about this I mean you well, hold on a second. We need to let the audience know that you've you've got chops way past, you know, way beyond just here at a Children's Theater Company. I mean, give us a little bit of. I mean, you are you you've written uh, for TV shows, and you've got some other plays uh, that you in the works or that you've done. Just give us a little. Let let the audience know what. I mean, you young human. All right, if I saying that, okay. How much you've accomplished in the very short time you've been on this earth? 
Oh, thank you. Well, I know it's wild to think about just like even just the last few years, you know, I've, I've been writing since I was like, I say practically Morris's age, you know, no, a little older, probably nine or 10. But definitely when I was Morris's age, I was already devouring, you know, library books like nobody's business. So it's something I've always loved, although it's not necessarily something that I said I was going to be, you know, I, I maybe because I didn't know it was possible. Like I didn't have anyone in, around me that had that as a job. You know, I come from an immigrant family. So we're kind of in that generation of just trying to survive and create safety for ourselves. And so I really appreciate my parents for that because then they created this world where I could explore and be creative. And um, so I've kind of always been doing it. I started writing plays in particular in college and I just really resonated with it as a way to, it just felt magical, you know? And I read this amazing play, Blue, B-L-U by Virginia Grice and it blew my mind. And I was like, I didn't know plays could be like this and I want to write them like this. And so I just started doing it and it was a really great way to like process my questions about the world and my feelings and like felt like I could, you know, craft my own worlds on stage. And um, it was really just a fun time. And it was something that I was doing even while I was working in, you know, um, communications work or teaching. Um, and then, I don't know, just lots of folks supporting me in my life ended up kind of getting these opportunities. And so, yeah, I have a play, Desarrollo, that I, you know, produced in a festival in New York City a few years ago. Um, I've also gotten to do a lot of really cool readings in New York with lots of awesome, you know, playwright uh, development places. And then the last few years I came into screenwriting. So I, you know, ad actually adapted a different children's book for an animated um, film that's hopefully coming out next year with Cartoon Saloon called Julian, based on Julian is a Mermaid, which is another beautiful book. Um, and then, yeah, I wrote for TV for the show With Love on Amazon Prime, really great experience, and also doing some other TV development work, which I'm really excited about. So it's been, yeah, it's still wild to even just say this stuff out loud. I'm like, what? This is my life? Like, I don't know. I wasn't even like, you know, I wasn't like, I'm going to be, you know, my five-year plan. I was kind of just always like, I'm going to do what I love and, and hope for the best. And so I'm really grateful for everyone in my life who supported that and who's said, you know, they say whoever's saying your name in a room you're not in, shout out to them, if, you know, if they're saying it in a nice way <laughs> and sharing your work. Um, so, yeah, I'm really grateful for the journey so far. And, yeah, this is just the latest project that I'm super honored to get to do. Well, let's it, – it, it's incredible journey. And, of course, you've got so much more ahead of you. Uh, but let's let's talk more about Morris Micklewright-White and, and uh, you know – you and I, uh, we we did some prep yesterday, and 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 kind of let's let's at least do a little explana explanation for the audience because I think that we've got the subject. We've got a young, you know, child identified as male at birth, who's who 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 just absolutely loves wearing this tangerine dress because it reminds him of his mother's color of his mother's hair and, and uh, of tigers and things of that nature. Um, and, he, and he is the subject of being othered um, and, and marginalized by other class, you know, classmates in, in his class. Okay, these are, again, young kids who, because they learn stereotypes, they learn the rules from their parents, and they end up, you know, othering um, Morris um, but Morris, as you said, also has a, a wild imagination. The, I think the, the, the question that some audience members will have and, and help – you know, you help me on this because we talked about this yesterday – is you know, the question of is Morris, you know, is Morris transgender and because Morris wears a dress. And so lead, give, our, give our audience 
your take on on Morris about wearing the dress and and what that may mean and what it may not mean. Okay. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a great sort of angle or to arrive at. And I think it's like really interesting to me, actually, that it's going to feel like kind of an open ended question um, for folks. And I think that's part of what excites me, especially as like a non-binary and gender queer person who like very much connects with the sort of like fluidity and questioning that Morris has. So yeah, he's, uh, he's calls himself a boy. Others call him a boy. He actually takes no issue with that in this moment of his life, right? In the week that we're with him in this story. Right. Um, but he loves his dress. He's like, Hey, this thing sounds cool. It looks cool. Like I'm an astronaut in this. It like I feels love cool. This, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that to me is so beautiful because it feels very uh, like pure almost, you know, like this very wholesome way that we are connected to our senses as children where we're just like not quite thinking about all the social brouhaha yet you know all the implications um which you know are important especially as we get older but I feel like there's something so special about that energy as a children when we're like not carrying all those burdens necessarily and we're just trying to be who we are in that moment and express in our very presence so I love that about Morris and yeah like you said he is very othered though by this freedom um by trying to follow that that fire in him and the desire and these kids um, try to tell him that he can't do that because he's a boy. You're a boy. So X, Y, Z. Right. And what I love about Morris is that, you know, he's pushes back against that. It's the the powerful question of says who, why, why not? You know? Um, And I really had fun getting to explore those questions with Morris and his classmates in the show. Well, excuse me. And Morris, you know, Morris, also wants to be an astronaut. He has he builds a spaceship you know, in the classroom, right? And and then, but continues to wear the dress. And but then in this, you know, we don't want to tell the whole story here. But but then some of his classmates want to be on the spaceship with him, right? Yep. And I another part of the book that I was like, yes, exactly, because to me it's such a sweet capture of like the power of our courage actually um you know and the power of our any just one person having the you know bravery and the resilience mm-hmm. to say no I'm going to be who I am even if you're telling tell me that I can't be because of whatever rules you have clung to or been you know told and absorbed and that inspires other people to also question right and I think that's such a special part of what we see in the story and explore with the play as well um, and, you know, not everyone. So realistically, you know, we're not having some happy bow on it. Yeah, come see it, folks. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but it's not a, a neat bow. But there is a journey for these characters, right? There's a teacher who goes on a journey. There's classmates, you know, some who very much are able to change and reflect on their own behavior. Um, and I think that's really great to see because I think we are all capable of change and transforming and learning something new and then being able to approach the world differently once we do learn something new. Well, and that the idea of a journey, I think, is just a wonderful kind of theme because in reality, all of us humans are on a journey of one kind or another. Um, and we get the snapshot of this of this young child on a journey in a week. Uh, I love that some of the classmates want to be on the spaceship. Some of the classmates accept Morris for all that he is, whatever it may be. Um, but they have to buck. They have to buck the the pressure from the, their group and their group leader to go and be with Morris, right? And so this is – so remember, it's Children's Theatre Company, which 
I just absolutely love. Okay, I'm just putting a plug in for the or, for the company and the organization. But it, it's about. I mean, we're p- producing plays uh, for adults, but also pr- you know children. And so the the message here for the children in the audience, the message is: live authentically, right? Be brave, right? Don't don't let somebody stop you from befriending someone and don't let somebody stop you from being whomever you are. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then also like we we're just saying with these students who maybe start out with some sort of bias and then are able to question it, there's a message there too of like, it's okay to change, you know, to learn and change and you can wake up every day and make a different choice and step into that bravery and step into that authenticity. Mm-hmm. Even if you, haven't before you know sometimes folks say oh it's too late for me and I'm like it's never too late it's never too late to you know try to connect with whatever you know is your authentic self you know which is not this fixed thing either which I think again is that beautiful because we're saying it's a journey so whatever your authentic self is in that moment it's never too late to connect with that and to express that so who are uh, who are our main actors that are in the play can you give us who's playing Morris and who's playing the teacher Yes, I'm actually very excited to say that we have more than one Morris. We have a double cast. So I'm all about going twice. If you love a thing, go again. Um, no, but I really do. And I'm just saying that to be like, get more tickets. I'm saying that because these student actors are phenomenal, Ellie. So we have the beautiful Joy. Um, I don't know everyone's last name, so I'm sorry. But you can check out childrenstheater.org to see the full cast list right. and names. But I can say first names because I've been hanging out with them, you know, this whole year for a lot of them. Um, but a wonderful joy is our, our our sole adult actor who plays the teacher, Miss Mello, as well as um, Morris's mom, Moira. So that's a fun double cast to see her play both roles. And then we have the wonderful Matias and Scout playing Morris on alternating shows. Um, and they're just so talented. And I just love seeing how they bring their own personality to Morris so that you have a very different, right? Still the same story, the same themes, the same energy of creativity and expression, but in a very different way because we're all unique. So I love to see that. Um, And then we have um, these four other classmates, right? So it's five student actors, young people and one adult. Um, And on one cast with Matias playing Morris, um, we have Hildy and um, Ariana and the Anthony um, and Truman as these amazing classmates. And they're uh, just so phenomenal. And then in the Scouts cast, um, we have Mia and Baron and um, I'm gonna, and Indra and um, Sam. <laughs> there we go. That's everyone. They're so phenomenal. And I love getting to work with them. These are some of them who actually were with us since the first workshop in April of this year. And some of them joined us just um, recently for the full rehearsal process. But they're all really brilliant, really supportive of each other, really generous with their energy. Um, and I just think that everyone's going to come and fall in love with these kids because they're magic. Well, Giuliani, you didn't even know I was going to ask you to name the cast and you just did a great job. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, I'm like, I got this. I love these kids. I've been watching them. I know that, I don't know their last names because I'm not that involved, but I know, I know I can see their faces in my head and I know exactly, you know, what they sound like and their energy because they're so infectious with their just brilliance. Well, we know if, if Ellie Krug was called upon to do that kind of memory, <laughs> we know how that would go. Okay. <laughs> there was uh, 
It's actually one of my special skills. When I was a teacher and even as a student, I've been like, I know everyone's name on the first day. So it's oh, just one of my good for you. So I was ready. Thank you. So I did a little research and, uh, you know, it turns out that Morris Micklewhite has been the subject of several attempted book bans. And one in particular caught my attention. Did you know that in 2019 um, in Orange City, uh, Iowa, which um, is northwestern Iowa, it's the most probably most conservative of the conservative state, uh, that there was, uh, you know, there were a group of community members uh, who were very upset that the library was supposedly distributing LGBTQ materials to pre-K kids using tax dollars. And in fact, uh, one of the activists checked out the four books, the four copies of Morris Micklewhite um, from the library and burned them. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't know that one. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, and, and eventually, apparently that person got charged. OK, so to the credit of the local authorities. But um, <laughs> but what that what that did was. It caused people who wanted to support the book and the library to send 200 copies of the book to the Orange City, Iowa Public Library. Wow. <laughs> as well yes. as thousands of dollars. <laughs> I love to hear it. That's the part of the story that's great, right? Is here, like, where there's a seed of hate, we'll come back with a forest of love because. It's just not okay. Like burning these kids' books is giving Salem witch trials at a library, you know? Well, it just goes to show you how afraid people are. And that's really one of the – I'm going to assume without seeing the player reading the book, but I'm going to assume that fear is one of the underlying themes of the whole storyline, which is we're afraid of what we don't know. We're afraid of things that are different from us. And that causes us to do, you know, things such as othering people, you know, to, as a way of dealing with our fear, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fear is such a, at the core of so much of that uh, behavior, you know, of trying to control or dismiss or erase people that you don't understand. And, you know, what's sad, too, is that sometimes it's fear in seeing yourself in it, right? It's the fear of your own you know, authentic self and your own difference, um, you know, and the fear of being ostracized for it. Like you said, the sort of othering that happens, it, it's scary to be like, oh, no, if I if I follow my heart, I'm going to not have friends or I'm going to, you know, have to hear mean things at school every day. It's very, it's a very powerful emotion, you know, and so it's always about how can we meet it? That's the courage part, right? Is not pretending that we're not afraid because come on, we are <laughs> like, we got lots, you know, to fear as you sometimes, um, but how can we hold it and meet it with courage? Well, and and maybe what this play will do is you know, there'll be a queer kid who is struggling with coming out and maybe this play, your story, your, you know, your storyline that you created, um, maybe that will give them the courage to say, I'm going to go be like Morris. I'm going to go and live as who I really am and what my heart is telling me, as you said. So, and wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, I, I got to believe, Giuliani, that the play will reach those kinds of kids and maybe some adults. I mean, I, you know, I shared with you yesterday, I didn't, I didn't get to be Elliot Krug till I was 52 years old. So, you know, <laughs> it's not like it goes away. It doesn't yeah. go away, you know? Right. Exactly. So. And so there's this idea of like, don't talk to the kids about that. Don't show them 
someone wearing a dress like they'll get these ideas and it's like it, if it's if we want to do it it's going to be there and it's going to come out right. anyway so rather than try to turn away from that and ignore that and then leave these kids hurting we should just be there for them and let them explore so yeah i hope i sure do hope that that's can be one outcome of this you know uh is even yeah even just one kid even if it's even, just one kid or, or one right. adult who comes in it's so worth it and i remember you know that's what i, I come back to when I'm seeing terrible things on the news or when, you know, I'm struggling with my own creative work, I'm like, I have the duty to express myself and share that and to, to the young people after me. Right. Yeah. Anything that, you know, we go through, I, you know, i so appreciate you sharing your story and your journey and just being like, how can we improve that right for the next generation? Um, you know, I am lucky. I got to come into my queerness in, you know, my young adulthood, which some people would still say is, you know, late, like for me, it wasn't until college, and that's late to me, right? But that's earlier than you were able to. And, and that's the gift that we can give to the generations ahead. So, yeah, we have actually a, a phenomenal trans actress in the cast, Hildy, who is this young person who will just have to, like, you know, a couple of days she had to miss rehearsal to go fly to D.C. and talk to the, the presidential family, you know, about trans rights. And I think that's so glorious. It's like, wow. And see that after us, even sooner, they'll be able to yeah. come into their power and into their truth. And that's that's so much of like what we're here to do i think is make it better for those after us so one last question i ask all of my guests this and that is do you think you're an idealist and if so what made you that way how did you get that way yeah yeah i think i am at the end of the day an idealist um you know and it's like even if i don't necessarily uh use that word i feel like other people will because they're like oh how could you possibly think the world could this is just what it, i get a lot in my life of people being like this is just what it is this is how humans are and i refuse that and i think that's what makes me an idealist is that i refuse to say this is how things have to be you know I, i'm so inspired by the non-human world that is always changing right I look at I love seeing queerness in nature. That's a huge thing to see. Be like, look, there's no, look how wonderful and absurd and dynamic that everything else around us. That's the penguins. Is. It's the penguins. Yeah, it's the penguins <laughs> and the slugs and the otters. You know, all of them. All of them are here just living, and it inspires me. So I think I mean that's actually one thing that makes me that way is is just the, I think my my relationship to to the natural world and to this weird gorgeous planet that that we're on and that we're trying to protect right now, or as some of us are trying to protect, you know, and I think also stories. Um, and yeah, speaking of public libraries and I'm like, I love them. I love them. I'll defend them till my last breath because I grew up in the halls of a public library and taking home stacks of books every week, you know, and getting lost in those worlds. And I think seeing all those stories, being so inspired by all these worlds and these, I was like, of course, we can, we look at us, if we can create this, if we can tell these stories, if this is coming just from our hearts and our minds, we're capable of so much more than, yeah. than sometimes we're told we are. So I, as, you know, I think that's me, a begrudging optimist till the end, because it's gotta, it's gotta get better than this. And we're talking, it is, you know, even if some days we get overwhelmed by the larger world, what we're describing of even just one kid having their life changed, that to me is uh, utterly powerful. Well, Giuliani, thanks for being on LE 2.0 Radio. I have so enjoyed talking with you, and I look forward to seeing the play. Um, I'm going to actually see it twice, so maybe I'll get yes. to see the two casts. And um, and uh, you and I will get to meet each other in person in a week, or and so I'm looking forward to that. But in the meantime, thank you. Thanks for everything you've done for Children's Theatre Company. Thanks for everything you've done for the world. 
okay, and for queer people and just humans in general, okay? Thank, Thank you. you so much, Ellie. This was a wonderful time. And yeah, I can't wait to see you at the show next week. <laughs> All right. Well, audience, we've been talking with Juliana Tavares, who is the playwright for Morris Mickle White in the tang- Tangerine Dress. Contact Children's Theater Company. Go online. Just You can order tickets. By all means, go and see the show. You're going to hear me talk about it after I've seen it. Okay. But and it's only and it's not running for very long it's running for like 6 weeks and that's it and then it'll be gone off to chicago or omaha or wherever it's going to go juliani take care and uh thanks again for being on le 2.0 radio thanks all right listeners when we come back i'll do my c block talking about my work as an idealist you're listening to me ellie krug on le 2.0 radio if you like what you hear go visit my website at elliekrug.com we'll be back in a sec thanks And we're back. <clears throat> LD 2.0 Radio. Uh, Juliana Tavares. I mean, remember, I told you you would like that interview, right? Um, and and, and you, I, you can go on YouTube and you can see the smile that I talked about. But it, it's a contagious smile. And they were just – you, you got a sense of what this young human has done and what they're capable of doing in the future. I just so look forward to it. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Okay, so C block talk about my work as an idealist. So first, I don't have a whole lot, um, but uh, you know, this week uh, I've done gray area thinking a couple of times, uh, one online and then one for the uh, uh, League of Women Voters uh, for uh, um, Wazetta and Plymouth. Uh, and I did that at the public library in Plymouth on Thursday night. And let me, you know, we had about, I don't know, 40, 45 people there. Um, and uh, we ranged from high schooler to, you know, longtime retiree in the room. And I, I and, the, and, you know, the, the, the work was very well received. And I've just got to, t- I, I continued to hear time and again about gray area thinking about how, it gives people hope about how um, it wasn't what they expected, how it makes them see the world in a different way than what they had seen before, you know, before they t- went through the training. And, and it, it, it just – it warms my heart to hear all of that but it also saddens me because I know that <clears throat> when I go away, whenever that may be, who knows when that might be. That gray area thinking will go away. I mean, there's nobody else doing this. I've, you know, I <clears throat> I've tried to find the right person to carry it on. I, I, it's not easy to find that person. And <clears throat> I'm sorry, my voice is not working right at the moment. Um, and I just, you know, so it, it's a little bittersweet, a little melancholy for me to hear about how great it is because. I, I just want it to continue on and on and on, you know, forever. Um, but, you know, it won't. But so that means I'm going to try and do my best to do as many gray area thinkings 
as possible while I'm still, you know, on this earth breathing. So, um, as you know, this show is taped. So today on the 7th, as the show is starting, <clears throat> I'm speaking at the Waconia Moravian Church doing gray area thinking. Um, but on uh, the first Sunday in November, I think it's November 5th, whatever it is, the first Sunday in November, I'll be up at St. Francis at the St. Francis United Methodist Church from 6 to 8 that evening on the first Sunday of November um, doing gray area thinking. That'll be open to the public. And and you know what? I've been getting a number of emails and phone calls from people. Ellie, where, where are you going to do this in public? I want to come and see it, which – Again, you know, it makes me feel good that people are – they're hungry to learn about how to be good and welcoming to people who are different or other. So anyway, um, that's me as an idealist. It, you know, that's part of my work. That's my work about trying to make the world a better place. OK. So there's that. All right. Now I'm going to give you a plug again about Minnesota Women's Press. Uh, you know I've been an in informal and at times formal advisor to Minnesota Women's Press. I know Matt McNeil had Mickey Morissette, who is the publisher of Minnesota Women's Press, on his show this week. They are they are in big time financial difficulties, and they need your help. They need um, they need donations uh, and significant donations. You know, twenty five dollars I know is still a lot of money to a whole lot of people, but they need. More than $25, so they need a whole lot of people ponying up $25. I, this is the only publication of its kind, and I think in the country. You know, it's feminist owned, it's the oldest feminist uh, uh, publication in the country. But what it's doing right now, you know, here in Minnesota, they're, we're reach, they're reaching out to greater Minnesota about talking about fear, about how to get past the differences, the urban-rural divide, about how to get people to talk to each other again uh, versus us being in our own camps, lodging, you know, things at each other. So go to Minnesota Women's Press online and please click on the donate button for them. And they just really – we don't – we can't lose this publication, OK? All right. I got to go. My big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Um, Brett is like – better than sliced bread, let me just tell you. And to you, my listeners, thank you for tuning in every week and thank you for listening to the podcast. Please tell others about this show because, <clears throat> you know, I like to have this show listened to by, you know, a gazillion people um, because it's a good show. We don't, we talk about things that you don't ordinarily hear and we highlight people and the human spirit and most of all, we highlight what it means to try and believe that you need, you have an obligation to make this world a better place. So between now and you hear my voice next, go out and do something to do exactly that. Ellie Krug, over and out.